Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The word of the Lord. The most interesting ending in all of maybe scripture books. And also many animals. Um. Well, if it's not obvious uh, from what we just read, what we're going to talk about this morning is anger. And God's, that's what God's doing here is he's addressing Jonah's anger. And really the question of, because the question in here, we've been in this series, questions God asks, right? The question of, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And um, I just have to say this before we launch off. Uh, I don't know how anger was handled uh, for you and your family, uh, or maybe how you handle anger. Um, some of you probably grew up in homes where it was the, the most unallowable emotion, right? We just kind of smooth over everything. We stuff it, um, and as a result, um, you're probably a ticking time bomb right now, uh, and most of it bleeds out in passive-aggressive uh, behavior and language. Some of you, that was your experience. Some of you grew up in a home where anger was the language, uh, that it was completely okay to be angry. Uh, in fact, anger was just kind of like the environment that you lived in, and it's how people communicated. I don't know. Uh, maybe you're like, I love the place in the Avengers where uh, Captain America tells Banner, hey, maybe it's time to get angry. And he says, that's my secret. I'm always angry. <laughs> Maybe you're always angry, uh, and you're just kind of keeping it, you know, in the shell. I don't know. Are you a hiding hulk, right? How can you know if you're right in your anger? How can you know? Well, let me just say this. Why do we get angry? And this may be a little oversimplified, but I don't think it is. We get angry because 
something that we love is threatened. I'd encourage you to just keep it that simple. I get angry when something that I love is threatened, right? Is hurt, is taken away, whatever. It's a natural response for us. Like when my kids, um, I've had this the other day, Lane and I were walking uh, down the driveway and she was carrying a hose and she tripped and literally clapped her head off of, uh, off of the driveway, skinned up her knees, and I was instantly angry. Not at her, but I was angry. Like I was sad for her, but I mean, there's real anger there, right? Because something I care about, something that I love is being threatened. It's a natural thing to get angry, but there's a problem in anger, and it's this. There's a challenge in anger, and it's this. What if I love the wrong things? Like, obviously, I love Lane. That's not loving the wrong thing, but what happens if my anger is actually stemming from the fact that I've got an out-of-order love or that I over-love Something that is good to love, but I love it too much, right? Like my money or maybe my personal freedom, right? I love it to the point to where it actually has become bad. That's how addictions happen, right? We overlove something good. It's called an idol in the Bible. And that's what sin does to our hearts. That's what we're going to see as we look at Jonah. Sin disorders our loves. It puts the wrong things ahead of the right things. It makes me take something that's good, like Romans 1 says, a good created thing, and actually put it in the place of God, the creator, and as a result, it destroys my life. What if the problem is is that I love the wrong things, and that's what my anger is showing me? So God asked this question, is it right for you to be angry to Jonah twice, once concerning the city of Nineveh, and then once concerning this, this plant experience, which we'll get to in a second, And both times he's asking that question to Jonah. He's asking because he's examining his heart with that question. He's inviting Jonah to examine his own heart, but God is examining his heart with that question, trying to get him to see what's underneath all of his anger and what it says about the state of his heart. So three things we're going to see. Hopefully uh, we'll get there. I think we'll get there uh, in this text. One, if you're the note taking type, What is Jonah's anger saying about his heart? Two, how is God's heart towards Jonah in his anger? So what is Jonah's anger saying about his heart? Secondly, how is God's heart towards Jonah in his anger? And then thirdly, I'm going to give you, I I actually have to email them. I'll need all of your email addresses. Some questions to really wrestle with this week. Is it right for you to be angry? My hunch is, I mean, come on, we're, we're... This is really practical, right, y'all? I mean, I don't have to give you some examples, too many examples. You can probably think we are in an angry world right now. Anger is like right there in almost every area of our lives, right? First thing, what does Jonah's anger say about his heart? As I was reflecting on this, I was realizing most people don't get to this chapter of Jonah. Like the flannel graph that they give you (laughs) as kids runs out after the fish part, right? Like, they don't even remember this part of the story that it ends in this kind of weird way. And many cattle, right? Right? They stop at the fish, and as a result, you miss the entire point of the entire book. The point of the book is right here. 
in chapter 4. What's Jonah's anger say about his heart is this, that Jonah's heart is one that has been swallowed by self and by pride long before it got swallowed by the fish. That's the point. That he was already swallowed from, from the first sentence of the book <laughs> in his own self-righteousness. Because he refuses right out the gate. It's a very short book, and I'd encourage you to go read it. He refused right out the gate to obey God and his call to go and preach to these people in Nineveh. And it says it earlier in the book, but he says it right here, it seemed wrong to him, right? That's why he didn't want to go. It seemed wrong to him to be sent to this group of people in Nineveh. And if we had the time, I'd go, we'd kind of go into it. Part of why it seemed wrong, or a big part of it, was because as an Israelite, right, he was struggling with nationalistic pride in Israel, right, and us and them. He was expressing religious and ethnic hate towards Nineveh. He was expressing indifference towards the spiritual state of that group of people in Nineveh. It says in there, they don't even know their right hand from the left, right? It's a way of saying they are spiritually lost. And he's saying, I could care less about them, right? It didn't seem right to him to have to go to those people. And so as a result, what? He ran. He ran. Remember, he goes down, he gets in the boat. Someone get up here and do the flannel graph for me, right? And then they draw the straws, right? Or no, that's not this one. He, he basically confesses like, hey, this is what's going on. I'm running from God. So they throw him into the water and the fish swallows him, the fish incident. And in the belly of the fish, he has this kind of seems genuine last ditch, you know, repentance in the belly of the fish. All of chapter two, basically. And what happens? God in Jonah's absolute rebellion, refusal, he shows compassion to Jonah in his disobedience. He has the fish, spit him onto dry land, and then he gives him a second chance to go to Nineveh, and he does it. Chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through. So this is a huge city. God says there later, you know, in this part, it's a very important city to him right? A lot of cattle, a lot of people. He cares about cows and he cares about people. Three days to go through it, and Jonah began going by a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the shortest sermon that was ever preached. <laughs> like, he didn't spend a lot of time on that one, did he? And he probably didn't spend a lot of time on that one because he didn't love the people of Nineveh, Right? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And guess what? It works. His sermon worked, right? The people repent. The king of Nineveh repents. He calls all the people, all the Ninevites, put on sackcloth and ashes, which would have been a physical sign of our hearts are kind of broken. We're humbling ourselves before Yahweh, right? He even puts sackcloth on the animals. Maybe that's why God says he cares about the cows in the end. I don't know. It works. When God saw what they did, 310, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. 
So Jonah goes, does what he's supposed to, he obeys, gives the shortest sermon in the world, and you have a thousand percent conversion rate, right? He should be pumped right now, right? Goodness gracious, okay, look at what the God's doing. Well, guess what? He's not pumped. 4 verse 1, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong. It was wrong, what? That God did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. It seemed wrong, right? I disagree with the Lord's call here, is effectively what he's saying. God, you shouldn't be gracious and compassionate to Nineveh. They don't deserve this, is what he's saying here, which is hilarious. I mean, we should all be laughing. You all should be laughing under your masks right now. Because that's the nature of grace, right? Grace is undeserved. That's what it is. And he's showing something. Jonah's heart is saying this, I hate grace. I don't even live in relationship with you by grace truly in my heart. Grace and mercy, it should be merited to receive it, which is not the gospel, right? He's saying they don't deserve it so much so, I'd rather die than accept that as right. Woo! Take away my life, God, right? It's better for me to die than to live. He's so self-right now, he's telling God what to do and what's best for him. So you can write that down. We'll get to some litmus test questions later. That's a good sign that you might not be right in your anger and you might be deeply struggling with self-righteousness when you're telling the Lord, you know what's best for you, best for everyone else. Right? And the irony and the hypocrisy in this is that Jonah wanted something from God for him. I want, you know, in the belly of the fish, I want your grace. I want your mercy. I'll I'll say the right prayers, right? I'll do the right kind of religious juju. I want your grace and I want your mercy when I'm disobedient, when I'm running away in rebellion, when I'm evil. But I'm unwilling for you, God, to extend that same grace and mercy to other people, right? We have... You, you have to have had an experience of this. I've had experience of this. I was trying to think of how many different ways I could explain this. Where somebody that you actually see, you know, they catch a break. <laughs> they get something that you actually believe they don't deserve and you believe that you deserve, right? I don't want you to give that to them. You can give it to me, but I don't want you to give it to them. And Jonah didn't just run away from the Lord because he didn't want to give up his agenda for his life. He's like, man, I got other things to do. I don't have time to be sent to Nineveh right now because I've got this other issue. He says really clearly there in verse 2, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate to God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew this about you, Right? I didn't run away because I had an agenda for my life. I ran away because I don't want you to be compassionate to those wicked people. How did God know, or sorry, how did Jonah know God was these things? Gracious, 
compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. How did he know is he's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting Exodus 34 and there's other places in scripture. He's quoting scripture about how God handled his people Israel in their own wickedness. Exodus 34 is right after Moses comes down off of Mount Sinai, right? He goes up onto the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments to come back and give the law to Israel. I've rescued you from Egypt. I've rescued you from Pharaoh. I've set you apart. You are going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. Now I'm going to tell you how to live in relationship with me and with one another. And by the time Moses gets back down, they've all taken off their earrings and made this tiny little golden calf and they're all dancing around like, woo, right? And what is he? He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in covenant love towards his people Israel in their absolute pagan idol worship right after the Red Sea. That's how Jonah knows God's like this because he's been like that to them. He's been like that to Jonah just now when he was in the belly of the fish. Jonah says this in Jonah 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. But you, Lord, you brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. He's saying, when I was in utter rebellion, my heart was diametrically set against what you've called me to do. You were merciful and gracious to me. And Jonah confesses this. At the very end of 2, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Another translation says, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When you cling to a worthless idol, you forfeit the grace that could be yours. What was the idol that Jonah was clinging to or that was clung to him or was so deep inside of him? It was his self-righteousness. That was the idol he was clinging to. And yet, in the belly of the fish, He gets a little deeper understanding of his own need for the same grace that the Ninevites need. And he repents and God relents and he's compassionate to Jonah. But when Nineveh repented and they were shown mercy, they were shown compassion and grace, Jonah is furious. I'd rather die than be associated with them. He is swallowed still in toxic pride. That's what Jonah's anger says about his heart. And yet, what is God's heart towards Jonah's anger? God gently rebukes Jonah. <laughs> I mean, you've got you to really sit in the story to see how gentle God's being here and asking this question. I've asked you to think about that. When you hear the questions of God, do you hear this mean <laughs> angry, judgmental voice, or do you hear a compassionate voice? Is it right for you to be angry? The answer is no. It's not right for Jonah to be angry. And yes, Jonah, I see that you'd rather be self-right in all your wrong, be all alone in the court of your own opinion than let go of your perspective. Yes, Jonah, I see that you have a hard heart that is full of pride and that is full of self-righteousness and that you are immovable in your position. But here's how I'm going to deal with you. Right now, after all of this, after the fish, after going to Nineveh, here we are. We're back in the same place, Jonah. I'm going to still fight for your heart. 
I'm going to be to you the way that you know that I am when you didn't go to, to Nineveh. I'm going to be slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, gracious and compassionate. Because that's how I am with those who are in sin. So how does God's heart, how is his heart towards Jonah's anger? Well, I think you could argue just in this, but you certainly see, we have some kids in here. We sang, did we sing the fruit of the Spirit last Sunday? I think we did, yeah. You see the fruit of the Spirit of God in how God's handling Jonah here. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those are present in how he's handling Jonah, right? He's showing his unrelenting, unwavering heart of compassion because Jonah, you're the one right now who doesn't know you're right from your left. You're right from your wrong, right? And I'm trying to swallow you again. I'm the big fish now, right? I sent the big fish, well, here's the whale. I'm here to swallow you again with my patience, with my kindness, with my grace, with my mercy, I'm going to swallow you in all of your ignorance, in all of your self-deception, in all of your self-rightness and your hypocrisy. That's how I'm going to be towards you. Here's how he does it. Jonah goes out and makes this shelter, right, outside the city. I mean, this is like a kid who like goes out and is like, I'm going to go pout out in the backyard, right? He goes out, sits down at a place east of the city where he makes himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city, right? It's literally, go read Luke 15 about the prodigal son. It's like the elder brother when the prodigal son returned and the father was thrown on the robe and the ring and the feast. He's like, my son who was lost and who was dead is home. That younger son was like the Ninevites. Come on, enter into the feast. No, Jonah's like the elder brother sitting outside in his self-righteousness saying, I don't care if you're throwing a party for them, and I don't care if they're in the kingdom. I'm going to sit over here, right? And so God does what? He gives them another. Think about this. He's already given them the visions in it, right? He gives them another supernaturally orchestrated teaching experience. Grace, right? He doesn't smite him in his pride, he continues to pursue him, and he says, Jonah, you're out here not to see what's going to happen to the city. You're out here for me to continue to rescue you from you. You're the one, not Nineveh, who's lost in your evil pride. They're all in sackcloth and ashes. You're still out here in your robes of self-righteousness, right? And so he gives him this plant to grow, to give him shade. I guess his, his temporary shelter wasn't quite enough. So this plant grows and gives him shade, and then a worm takes away the plant, and then this east wind drives him to the point of fainting. And yet, after that whole experience, where's Jonah again? He draws the same conclusion that he drew when God showed compassion to Nineveh. It's better for me to die than to live. And he says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he says, it is. I mean, dude's dug in, right? It seemed wrong to Jonah that he was compassionate to Nineveh. It seemed wrong to Jonah for God to take away what he had provided in the plant, right? It seemed wrong. Jonah is still displaying at the very end of the book. He's stuck 
deep down, I only care about what the Lord was or wasn't doing in conjunction with me. It's all about me, baby, right? I'm the only thing I deep down care about because that's what self-righteousness does. That's what sin does. It puts me at the center. So much so that, think about this, I care more about a plant than I care about people. I care more about my comfort than about their salvation. Whew. Russ Whitfield, black preacher, says, say amen or say ouch. <laughs> right? My burning anger is simply the fruit on the tree showing you that the root of my tree is rotten because I'm rooted deep in the soil of pride and of self. And I'm withering. I, the plant's not the only thing withering. Jonah's withering, right? And his anger is the scorching east wind that's making him faint. He's worn out in his own anger. And the Lord's saying, hey, there's a shelter for you. There's a shelter, but your anger is keeping you from experiencing it. It's a shelter that only can I, I can provide for you, and it's a shelter I provide by grace. But the story ends kind of unresolved, doesn't it? I mean, that should really shock us. That the story ends with God still gently, through questions, through experiences, trying to reason with Jonah, asking him, will you please, son, see a different perspective than your own? He's still, at the end of the book, being slow to anger, abounding in love to Jonah, even when Jonah is rolling around like a spiritual two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum, right? You know, one of the interesting things, uh, I'd encourage you, if you want to read a book about this, Prodigal Prophet, St. Tim, solid. Uh, yeah, his, his, his last page and a half was, is how do we know the story of Jonah? And the truth, the only logical conclusion is, is Jonah told the story? Like, why would Jonah tell a story like this that makes him look this bad? Because he looks real bad at the end here. There's no, like, happy ending. Like, oh, he got spit out of the fish. Yay. No, he's still swallowed in pride at the end of the book. I think if, if it's true that, and I believe it is, Jonah told his own story. That's how this got into Scripture. There was a point in Jonah's life that he eventually got it. And he said, I, I'm not, I don't need to be the shining person in the story. God's the shining person in the story. Keller says it like this, only one who had been joyfully secure then in God's love could tell this story about himself, right? So that's Jonah's <clears throat> anger and what it says about his heart, and that is how God's heart is towards Jonah anger, Jonah's anger. But what about us? Whew. I need to hustle. Is it right for you to be angry? <clears throat> let's make it personal. Let's, let's get a little practical here. Um, because I just encourage you, uh, if you're feeling convicted, awesome. We all should be. I am. Right? Self-righteousness, pride, and self-justification, those are the natural condition of the human heart because of sin. So we're all in the boat, right? We're all in the belly of the fish. But if you're like me, when you get angry, it's really hard to slow down enough to have the Lord graciously interrogate that anger. 
Because that's what we see God doing here with Jonah. Graciously interrogate that anger to expose where the motivations behind my anger, the heart behind my anger, may be partially or entirely wrong, right? It's hard, because when I'm angry, man, I feel right. I don't want to think about me, (laughs) right? I want to think about what I'm angry about. And if I'm honest, it feels good to be angry, because when I'm angry, I... I put myself in a position of having the moral or spiritual or social high ground over someone else, something else, right? And that gives me a sense of feeling like I'm in power, I'm in control, even if it's an illusion, right? It feels good sometimes to be angry. And anger, I'll just say this, anger in and of itself, it's not wrong. You know, Paul says that in Ephesians 4, in your anger, don't sin. So all anger isn't bad, that's what you hear me saying. It's not what we're saying. It's not what God's saying to Jonah here. But we shouldn't assume that all anger is right. That should not be our operating premise, that when I'm angry, I'm right about being angry. Right? So, trying to decide what I'm going to actually cut out right now. What's the remedy? Well, I think we have it expressed here. Like Jonah, would you allow the Lord to confront your anger? Right? Would you allow him to gently rebuke you and question it? Okay? Would you ask him, Lord, would you show me where I'm self-righteous in my anger? Would you ask him to actually allow you to taste again where he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and gracious and compassionate to you. And in that, if you're really experiencing Jesus, he will restore you to the joy of your salvation, right? That's where Jonah should have been. Jonah should have been in a place where he was so excited to go preach because he, had, he would be so excited about the salvation he had experienced, Right? Would you be restored to the joy of your salvation so that you would actually be in a place to seek, to share God's grace and love with others, even if loving them is hard because of your prejudices? Right? If Jesus says we can love our enemies, right? And enemies make us angry, right? And while we were enemies, God reconciled us through the death of his own son, right? That means if all of my anger is devoid of those who I have deemed enemies, if I have no love for my enemies, then I am not right in my anger. That's one of the litmus tests. If you have no love for what, those that you're angry with, if there's no love there, you're not right in your anger. Right? Here's a couple more, and then I'll close. Is there an us and them in your life? I'll send you this list. I'll post it somewhere. I don't know how we even do that. Is there an us and them in your life? Who is your Ninevites, right? You're probably going to need the Lord to help you figure that out because it's probably going to be a little more subtle than it was for Jonah and for Nineveh, right? But Jonah, you know, these were racial, national, religiously different people than Jonah, and he hated them. He had no love for them. He wrote the shortest sermon to them, and it still worked right? Because of God. Is there an us and them in your life? And do you have love for those that you deem enemies? If not, you're not right in your anger. 
Second one, do you let God into your anger or do you just talk about it with other people? Most people, uh, the shelter they go to is other people who already agree with them about stuff or the internet. Rather than actually going to God and to his word and letting that interrogate your anger, right? Do you let his word and him interrogate your heart? Like Psalm 139 says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you let God into your anger or do you just talk about it with other people? If so, you're probably not right in your anger. Thirdly, are you running away from a responsibility that God has called you to even if it's hard? You're angry. God has called you to give yourself to something you're struggling to love, and that's why you're angry. It's a great question. Fourth, are you telling God what to do or bossing him around? If so, you're probably not right in your anger. Fifth, do you love things more than people? Plants more than people different than you? It's a good question. Six. Where do you want God's grace, but you refuse to extend it? And here's, here's how I thought about that. My situation is nuanced, but theirs is cut and dry. <laughs> yeah, think on that one. Seventh, is all of your anger just about how things affect you or your tribe? Or do you ever get angry or concerned for others and their needs? So that's what God wanted from Jonah. Get, get angry in the right way because these Ninevites, they don't know their right hand from the left. Go bring them what I've given to you. Is all of your anger just about how things affect you or do you get angry or concerned for others and their needs? Seven questions that the Lord, as I sat in just this passage, I'm like, they're all right there in that passage. Would you allow those and Scripture to do what Psalm 39 says? Examine your heart. Um, because God wants to set you, he wants you to be right in your anger <laughs> uh, and, and to be passionate and loving where things are broken and to be set free like he was to pursue us in the Nineveh of our hearts and say, I'm coming to bring repentance and health where there's only brokenness and sin, all right? Let me pray for us uh, and then Janie and the team will lead us in a little more worship. Lord, Whew. <laughs> At least the kids are saying amen. <laughs> it's true. I wish we all had a heart of children, Lord. They're so much more teachable. Uh, I'm such a proud man. I'm so self-right. Uh, it feels like tar. I just, every point in my life where I feel like I escape it, it, it rears its ugly head. Uh, thank you, uh, Lord, that you are gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you, you relent on sending calamity. You could send calamity, and you don't. Instead, like you were with Jonah, you're, you're a gentle, good father uh, who calls us to uh, see our sin, uh, not because you want to shame us, but because you want to set us free. Uh, it's killing us, Lord. It's killing us. Uh, and you want life for us and life to the full. Uh, show us the places where we're not right in our anger? Uh, would we repent of those places and then walk in the freedom 
of the fact that it was never about us being self-right. We need your righteousness. We need your grace and your mercy, and we have it. In your name, amen.